the strength, the direction, the wisdom. It all comes from Him. So, if He does something with a little group, He gets all the credit because obviously we can, of ourselves, do nothing. And that's the whole point, is us to be humble, to be meek, to recognize the source of all power and all might, and look to Him to use that for His purposes and us to be a help in whatever we can be to fulfill His purposes. Now, He doesn't need help. He can do anything He wants. And Christ even said, you don't have to do it. I can raise up stones, uh, you know, and breathe the breath of life into a chunk of granite, and I can use it for my purposes. So he doesn't need us. But if we're willing to serve him, he is willing to use us instead of chunks of granite. Okay? That's where we stand. And that's what the first few chapter verses of Isaiah 5 and all of 5, 6, and 7 really are all about. Uh, of ourselves, we can do nothing. But God can do great works, and He will. Let's go back to Hosea chapter 9 now. We left off at the end of chapter 8 last time, and how God says He's going to destroy our cities and our palaces. We've depended upon our military, our fenced cities, that's walled cities in ancient parlance, and our military is going to do us no good. Just today or yesterday, whenever the quote came out, there was a sergeant in the military who said, if martial law comes, I will shoot Americans who have become the enemy. And another one said, if that happens, apart from her, if that happens, I'll be on the side of the people and I will not kill Americans. Now, guess what happened? He didn't put it in those words. He, he said he would be on the conservative side. I don't remember how he said it, but that was the essence of it. I'll be on the conservative side. Now, guess what happened to those two individuals who stood up and gave their opinion? She is still a sergeant. He has been fired. Now, what does that tell you about the people above them? The people above them are all for the military killing Americans as terrorists. And anybody who speaks up that they will protect Americans against what is coming gets fired. Now, that tells you what the people in charge above them want. Now, all military officers aren't that way. I understand that. There's a division there. But the ones directly above him fired him. This goes all the way to the top. He says in chapter 9, verse 1, Rejoice not, O Israel, for joy as other people. Now, joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit of God. And if we have the Spirit of God, then we, be, we should be growing in joy 
not for what we see around us, but for his kingdom and his purposes and all of the wonderful things that he has prophesied are going to happen to those who will serve and obey him. Now that joy should be growing within us. But he tells the nation, don't joy as other people do. There's no reason for America, Ephraim, the United States today, to express joy. And in fact, everything is getting worse day by day by day, and there's nothing really to be joyful about. Why does he say that? For you have gone whoring from your God. We've departed from God. You have loved a reward upon every corn floor. The floor and the winepress shall not feed them, and the new wine shall fail in her. So he's contrasting it here, saying you've, you've left the true God of creation, and you've become idol worship, worshipers of materialism. You want wealth. That's what you're after. That's what Americans desire. They get in the stock market, they get in this, they get in this, trying to become filthy rich. They want money, and money is the most important thing there is to them. And Christ said very clearly, you can't serve God and money. You have to put God ahead of it. I think that's one reason he requires us to give 10% of what he gives us back to him, so that we acknowledge where our blessings come from. God doesn't care about money. Everything in the universe belongs to him. He says there, even in the book of Haggai, the gold and the silver is mine. It isn't yours. I'm going to let you use it to build my temple, but it's mine. So everything on earth is his, And all he asks us to do is give him 10% back of all that he provides for us. Now that's a pretty good deal, isn't it? I'll give you this if you'll just return this much to me. Where can you get a better deal than that where he's giving it? And he says every good and perfect gift comes from above. So everything we are, everything we have, is about him. So he doesn't need our tithe. He doesn't need our offerings. He didn't need the widow's might. She needed it a whole lot worse than he did because she didn't have food. But he appreciated the fact that she put him ahead of money. And that's the problem he's discussing here. Americans put money ahead of virtually everything, and certainly including God. That's the problem. He has to be number one in our lives. That's the first commandment. Love me more than anything else, and love your neighbor just as much as you love yourself. Don't have to do more, just as much. And both of those are pretty tall orders. So that's what he's getting on our nation for, is going, pouring after the God of materialism and money. 
and looking for a reward on every corn floor. Well, corn, or the harvest, represented wealth. So we're looking for, a, for wealth wherever we go. What good is wealth going to do us when what is happening to our country right now comes to pass completely? Zephaniah says there's going to be a great financial crash and the money will become so worthless that we throw the gold and the silver in the street. You can't eat a dollar bill, you can't eat gold, and you can't eat silver. And if you don't have anything to eat, it becomes utterly worthless to you. And that's where we're going. It will not be long now until money will be worthless. The hyperinflation is gearing up right now. It's gotten to where a new truck pickup that was selling MSRP for 65000 now they want an extra 10000 on top of that because they can't make them anymore. Or at least it slowed way down because of part supply. So they want extra money. And a two, three, four-year-old truck is selling more for more right now than a new one is if you can get it. Ten, fifteen thousand more. I saw one advertised the other day for ninety thousand dollars, a sixty five thousand dollar truck that was two or three years old. Ninety grand they wanted for it. I checked on four wheelers. I have one. I was thinking about selling that UTV and going with something smaller or using a Jeep or cheaper. So I looked into it. The dealers don't have any. Motozoo and St. George used to have 40, 50 new ones sitting in stock. Now they had a few used ones and, I don't know, five or six or seven new ones that are not popular models. But they're completely sold out of all the popular ones. So I checked in Salt Lake and I checked in, in Montana. Same deal everywhere. And a salesman told me they can't get parts. They're hoping to have the 2022s out in October or November. They're due out now. And the dealerships have put in their orders. And he told me we ordered 140. But we already have down payments sitting here waiting for 80% of those. If they ever get here. We're in trouble. Our money is becoming worthless when a three-year-old truck costs you more than a new one if you can find one. Inflation is hitting heavily. And they're still shutting down ports. The cost of moving a container across the seas has gone up over ten times in the last year what it was a year ago. Instead of a, like 1,700, now it's 17,000. I forget the exact numbers, but it was close to that. What do you think is going to happen to the cost of goods that are being shipped, if they get shipped? Even our best president said the other day, you better do your Christmas shopping now. 
because they're not going to be getting shipments. And maybe she knows some things we don't know yet that they have planned. Rejoice not, O Israel, for joy as other people do. You have been seeking the God of material wealth. What's going to happen? Verse 3, They shall not dwell in the Lord's land, but Ephraim shall return to Egypt, and they shall eat unclean things in Assyria. Does that give you a lot of joy to read that? We're going back into slavery. Now God set this thing up so beautifully. When Jacob took his family down into Mitzrayim, we call it Egypt, but Mitzrayim is what it was. They weren't captives. Now, Joseph had been, but they weren't captive when they went there. And they were accepted by Pharaoh, and everything went pretty well, and he gave them the land of Goshen, some of the best land that's here. And they prospered and did well down there and multiplied. But over a period of time, Pharaoh began to say, Boy, there's getting to be an awful lot of them. And we need to bring them into control and subjection, lest they overrun us. So incrementally, over that 430 years, the slavery got tighter and tighter and tighter until they were abject slaves, just making bricks and mortar and getting a pittance so that they could eat. That lasted 430 years of incrementally getting worse and worse until what they were at the end. Now, God gave us back that 430 years. I do believe that. From the establishment in Roanoke, which ended 430 years in 2017 in July, we had 430 years of virtual freedom from the time we came to these shores, and slowly over time we've become slaves to the system, and now they are intending on locking us completely down and killing us all if possible. Ninety percent is their goal. That's their goal. And he says right here, we'll return to the world. That's Egypt in Bible prophecies is symbolic of sin anywhere. So we'll be taken into captivity into the sinful nations of this world because that's where we belong. We've become so sinful that we belong among sinful people as their slaves. And eat anything they'll give you in Assyria, including unclean things. Now this is a prophecy for the end. Do you think we're supposed to be eating unclean things today? I think not, because that's one of the indictments against us, is Americans are going to be eating pigs and, and shrimp. Well, they probably won't get those things, but anything they can get their hands on. That may not be pigs and shrimp. The overlords will take those. That could be rats and cats. Anything you can get hold of 
in a foreign land when we are taken captive. Snakes. They shall not offer wine offerings to the Eternal, neither shall they be pleasing to Him. We're going into captivity again, and we will not be in any position to please God. Now you are. You may be a citizen of the United States, but your citizenship has become a heavenly citizenship. My servants are not of this nation. If they were, then they would fight, but they're not, so they won't. I cannot go out and start an insurrection against the U.S. government because that's not my government. My government is a heavenly government. I look to God for my defense, for my safety, for my food, for everything. And that is easy to say right now, but pretty soon there's not going to be food in this nation. There's not going to be safety in this nation. It is going to be taken captive by foreign powers, and you're going to see U.N. troops all over the place. So I've got to look to God. I want to look to God, but I'll have to if I expect to be delivered. And you're in that position. They can't please God because they're ungodly in everything they're doing. Their sacrifices shall be to them as the bread of mourners. What do people who've lost a relative do? They mourn. And all of this wealth and this bread and corn and the things that we've enjoyed are not going to be. So we're going to be mourning for loss. All that eat thereof shall be polluted, for their bread, for their souls, shall not come to the house of the eternal. Bread for their soul. Now that could be speaking physically. They won't have food. The shelves are getting barer and barer day by day and week by week. I just saw an article that showed pictures from all over the country of a lot of bare shelves. We've seen a few. You're going to see more. But bread for your soul, spiritually, is Christ himself. And they're not going to turn to him. So they won't get bread for their soul. We have to eat of him and drink of him if we're going to be protected physically. What will you do in the solemn day and in the day of the Feast of the Eternal. I think it's interesting that he put that that way. Here we are in August. The Feast comes later in October. They're planning some serious lockdowns this fall. What will you do in the day of the Feast of the Eternal? Are things going to change by Feast of Tabernacles time? Was this prophecy written very timely? I don't know. It's been here for a lot of years, this prophecy. But now we find ourselves on the edge of starvation now. If you don't get that vaccination, you are not going to buy and sell. You cannot obtain food. 
And that noose is tightening day by day. More and more companies are saying, get the vaccination or you're fired. More and more restaurants are saying, get vaccinated or you're not going to be allowed in. The government is not saying it per se yet, but they're encouraging companies to do this to us so that it just gets tighter and tighter and tighter. You should have read Dave Hodges' article, I think, three days ago now, where they already have the documents from the government that gave 30 things they're planning on doing. One of them is setting up a border patrol between states, not on the southern border. That's wide open. They've already practiced it in two or three states. They'll set up roadblocks, and as you come there, right in the documents, it says that you will be tested for vaccination. If you're not vaccinated, you will either be inoculated right there if you permit it, or they will take you, if you're a passenger in the car, and the driver of the car, vaccinated or not, to a FEMA camp where you will be disposed of. That's in current government documents. He quoted from them. You can look them up. What will you do in the solemn day of the Feast of the Eternal? Will it happen that fast? It could, I don't know. For lo, they are gone because of destruction. Egypt shall gather them up. Memphis shall bury them. So we're going to be gathered up by the nations of this world and buried by them. FEMA camp, whatever you want to call it, be killed and buried. The pleasant places for their silver... Uh, nettles shall possess them, thorns shall be in their tabernacles. Feast of the Lord, tabernacles is mentioned. Your pleasant houses that we've bought are going to be taken away. The days of visitation are come. Now isn't that what Ezekiel said when he said, a third will die of famine and pestilence, a third by the sword, and a third taken captive. And that was in the context of him lying on his side and then the other side for a total of 430 days. And it says right there, it represents years. We have now had a presence in this nation for 430 plus four. 2017 till 2021 is four. And he says right there in the context, it is near, it is near, it is come, it is come, it is near. It won't be like the echoing again of the hills. It is come. And from 2019 on, we have seen the noose getting tighter. They introduced COVID-19. They introduced masks. They introduced stay away from each other. And now they've introduced a vaccination that is proving to be more contagious than the unvaccinated. Vaccinated people are getting vaccinated people. 
impacted. They designed this not to kill us all immediately. They designed it to be an incremental thing. A few are dying as soon as they take the shock or within hours or days. But it is set up to attack the body, to create problems within the body, that within three years they are thinking and planning for everybody who took the shots to be dead. That's why Deagle, which uh, is a big think tank, that deals with military stuff and wars and so on, has prophesied two or three years ago, whenever it was, that only 100 million Americans would survive till 2025. They didn't say why then, but they knew that this kill shot would be introduced. The day of visitation are come. We're in them now. Ezekiel said it, and we're in it. It hasn't killed us all yet, but the process has been started. We'll see a little more of that as we go along here. Uh, Israel shall know it. The prophet is a fool. The spiritual man is mad. For the multitude of your iniquity and the great hatred. I just read yesterday or today that the preachers of these big evangelical movements are telling people to go get vaccinated. They're crazy. They're mad. They've gone off the rails. You can't look to churches for an answer anymore, that's for sure. They're telling you to take the kill shot. Now, not all of them, but most of them, the big ones. The watchman of Ephraim was with my God. Now, he tells us in Jeremiah 31 that his watchman will stand on Mount Ephraim and Mount Zion and proclaim these things. So, the watchman of Ephraim that God sets up are with God, okay? But the prophet is a snare and a fowler in all his ways and hatred to the house of his God. So here he's contrasting the prophets, the preachers, the religions of the world to his watchmen. They have deeply corrupted themselves as in the days of Gibeah. Therefore, he will remember their iniquities, he will visit their sins. The churches are going to be destroyed as well. Then he says in verse 10, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first ripe in the fig tree at her first time. God says, now here is my attitude that I had originally with Israel. I called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I changed Jacob's name to Israel. And his children I have blessed. And to me, Israel was like being wandering out in the wilderness and finding a grapevine. And oh, how pleasant. If you're 
very thirsty and have not eaten, and you came across a vine with succulent grapes on it that would feed you and give you drink at the same time, ah, how wonderful that would be. I've experienced something like that, I think especially in Alaska. You get above Timberline in those mountains, I'd be up there hunting moose or sheep or something, goats, and the ground would be carpeted with blueberries. You could not put your foot down anywhere without smashing blueberries, little plants, but full of blueberries. And if you're up there and you're hungry and you're tired and you're thirsty, you just fall on your knees and begin eating blueberries. It just is so nice. I looked up one day and here was a black bear 20, 30 feet away doing the same thing I was doing. He didn't care and I didn't care. Let's eat these. That's what he's saying here. I just use a little personal example. To me, seeing Israel was like a wonderful, loaded, ripe grapevine. First ripe. Like the first ripe in the fig tree at our first time. You've grown this fig tree and you go out and for the first time it has figs on it. And here they are, nice and ripe and soft. Oh, I love a ripe fig. Not yet dried. I love the dried ones. But that ripe one's awfully good. That was God's attitude toward Israel. He wants to remind us of that. Okay? But, uh-oh, they went to Baal Peor and separated themselves to that shame, and their abominations were according as they loved. The things that Americans love, they do, and they're abominable. Lying, cheating, stealing, adultery, murder, and on and on it goes, idolatry of all kinds. That's what carnal, normal people Love. And that's what our nation has gone after, is all those things. We've just given in to our baser desires as a nation. And you can see the degeneration. Any of you who are 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago, old can see a big difference in the people of this nation over what they were back then. Nobody wants to work. They all want paid. Just give me. If the government will give me a check, I won't work at all. If I come to work, I won't work, but I consider being on the job work, whether I do anything or not. So you should pay me for doing nothing because I'm here. I got the cell phone in my ear, but, you know, I'm here. That's where we are as a nation. It's that way everywhere. God despises it. And we should too. But what can you do about it? Nothing. It's all across the nation that way. Our kids aren't taught to work when they're little. They don't do chores much anymore. They don't take care of animals. They don't get out and learn to work. So then... They get out of school, 
and they've had an allowance, or their mom and dad have bought them what they wanted, now they want the company that they're supposedly working for to do all this for them without having to do anything. That's how much it has gone downhill. When I was a kid, I chopped cotton for 50 cents an hour from my granddad. That wasn't bad wages back then. Out in the 105 degree temperature, chopping weeds out of the cotton. And my dad wanted me working. His dad had made him work, and any boy that was not working was worthless. And he drilled that into me. I didn't always like it. My kids didn't either, but I taught them to work. And they resented it, because the kids at school weren't having to work as hard as they worked. But then they came to me as 40-year-olds, somewhere in there, and said, Dad, at least you taught us how to work. And they're hard workers. But our nation is not anymore. Basically, worthless is... My granddaddy on that side used to put it, worthless as tits on a bore. So you hire them and you get nothing out of them. At least the sow produces something, kids, babies, but the boar doesn't. That's our nation, brethren. Now, where was I? God will visit their sins. Verse 10, I looked upon them good, but they've gone to these abominations. Our society has degenerated into basically worthless people. Just greedy for whatever they can get, wherever they can get it. As for Ephraim, their glory shall fly away like a bird. From the birth and from the womb and from the conception. They can be born in this nation today and never become worth anything. And they just fly away like a bird. No responsibility. No willingness to do what they ought to do as a responsible human being. Oh, you want me to work? I think I'll fly away. I think I'll go home and see if the government will pay for me. Is God telling us what we are or not? Though they bring up their children, yet will I bereave them that there shall not be a man left. Yea, woe also to them when I depart from them. So he says, so long, I'm not going to have anything to do with you. You're on your own. And I am going to punish you. Till there's not a man left. Well, isn't that what Ezekiel said? A third by famine and pestilence. And boy, are we on the edge of that today. Our government is telling farmers to plow up their fields. And they'll pay them to plow up their fields and not produce food. Bill Gates is now the biggest 
owner of farmland in America. He's not a farmer, but he has more farmland than anybody. And he has said, 90% of us need to die. And I will give you a shot to keep you safe. How many times have I repeated that? What a lying hypocrite. And he's buying up all that farmland so that it can't be farmed and we can die. He's working on us from several different viewpoints to kill us. And Ezekiel says, a third die of famine and pestilence, a third by the sword and an invasion, and a third taken into captivity, and a sword after them. Now that sounds like not a man left standing here. He either gets killed or he goes overseas as a slave. Ephraim, as I saw Tyrus, is planted in a pleasant place. I've been all over the world. I have never seen anywhere on any continent anything as nice as what we have in this country. Europe ain't bad, but it was given basically to Israel as well. They just didn't all come over here when God opened this up to us again after being gone all those years. It is a pleasant place. We have rivers and rain and streams and everything that we could possibly need in this country. That's what he said the promised land would be. It will produce everything you need. But we decided we needed to make deals with people somewhere else and import their stuff and quit making stuff ourselves. And then we become slaves economically to them. And then they decide they want our land as well because we are so in debt to them that the only thing we have of any value is our land. That's the collateral. And they're going to take it. Oh, I, I turned over a page. Let's see, where am I here? I saw it as a pleasant place. But Ephraim shall bring forth his children to the murderer. Now, I've used that to show the abortions. I read the other day that right now the count they have, however close it is, is 60 million babies have been killed in this country through abortion. But now we've come to the point that is not the only fulfillment of this. It is a fulfillment of it. And by the way, this, these vac vaccines, these kill shots they've made, contain material from aborted babies. If you take the shot, it is an act of cannibalism. It may not come through your mouth, it's coming in your arm. Dead babies. Now let's add to this. Not just abortion. That's heinous. Now, we are bringing our children and lining them up to get the kill shot in their arms. We're delivering them to the murderers. Those vaccines were developed over the last 20 years or so to kill us. 
the Russians, the Chinese, America, probably Israel, I don't know who else, <coughs> have been developing bioweapons for decades to use in war. <coughs> we are in a war already. They're using those bioweapons they have developed for a quiet kill. So we don't see bombs in airplanes at the moment. We see shots in the arm and people starting to die and get sick. And over a period of time, it is going to get worse and worse. And you better believe that's what they're doing. They see that vaccinated people are getting vaccinated people and unvaccinated sick. They see that. They know that. That's what they planned. But they planned for most of it to take part over months and a few years. <laughs> so we wouldn't get spooked and most of us would take it. You know, we have a lot of heart disease, diabetes, and cancer in this country, the big three. Do those all kill you immediately? No, they take time. Sometimes they do. Heart attack out of the blue and you're dead immediately, like some people take the vaccine and die immediately. But generally heart disease comes over time, diabetes does, cancer is. They're going to get you, but it'll take a while. It'll take a while. You can go to the doctors and they'll give you chemo or something and help you along. He'll bring his children to the murderer. Okay, there's two levels on which we're doing it now. Abortions and vaccinating our kids. Let's take it to another level, which is similar to vaccinating the kids. But our young people have been taught communism, socialism, and fascism kind of combined together all the way through school. And now... We are turning them over to a liberal communist government, which has in mind not to only kill them by vaccination, but by other means. So we are fulfilling this prophecy on at least three different levels right now. Give them, O Eternal, what will you give? You're going to kill your babies? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'll give them a miscarrying womb and dry breasts. A lot of women who are pregnant get the shot and they abort. A lot of that going on. All their wickedness is in Gilgal. For there I hated them for the wickedness of their doings. I will drive them out of my house. Gilgal was a place in Israel that was known for idolatry, turning from God. So he compares our nation today to that. I will love them no more. All their princes are revolters. Look at our leadership and, well, I use that ironically or sarcastically, leadership in Washington. They're revolters. They're revolters against God. They're revolters against the American people. And a lot of the American people look to them as their leaders.
But they are trying to destroy us. They are committing treason left and right. Democrat, Republican, it doesn't matter. That's just the name. They're in on this. The whole crowd. So God says, I'll drive them out. Ephraim is smitten. Their root is dried up. They shall bear no fruit. If you have a plant that would produce vegetables or fruit, and the roots dry up, crop's over. So he says, our root is dried up. We're not going to produce anymore. Yea, though they bring forth, yet will I slay even the beloved fruit of their womb. So he says, as a nation, you've given in to abortion, to kill shots, and to communism, socialism, fascism, whatever you want to call it. It's a combination of the three. And therefore, I'll dry up the rest of your production, the fruit of the womb. That'll stop. You know how it's going to stop? Read Deuteronomy 28. He says, foreign invaders are coming into our nation, and they will take their swords and their bayonets and rip up our pregnant women and spill their babies on the ground. That's what God says he's going to do. He's repeating it right here, not in quite those dramatic words, but that's what he's saying. And he says it dramatically in other places. My God will cast them away because they did not hearken to him, and they shall be wanderers among the nations. We won't live in America anymore, those who survive this. They'll be wanderers and slaves in other nations. says, I think it's in Jeremiah, is it in 50 or 51 there? I don't remember exactly. Maybe it's not there. But it says the people who are coming here are going to go back home. If they came here from Mexico or Guatemala or China or Australia or Uh, Germany or wherever they came from, Afghanistan, it's going to get so bad they're going to turn around and say, the American dream is over, I'm going home where it was bad, because this is worse. We're going to be the worst place on earth. Chapter 10, Israel is an empty vine. He brings forth fruit to himself. If you only produce for yourself, what good are you to anybody else? God tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're to treat our neighbors with kindness and love and generosity and kindness and be good neighbors, be good people. Be productive for others. We're called to service. All through the Bible, God says, serve, give, help, love. That's what a human being is supposed to do. But Americans are so selfish. I want, I want, I want. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Is our mantra. That isn't God's way. His way is give, help, serve, and love. Not lie, cheat, and steal so you can have for yourself. But that's what we've become. 
an empty vine, producing nothing for anybody other than self. Fruit unto himself. According to the multitude of his fruit, he has increased the altars. The more God blessed this country, the more he gave it, the more we served idols. We get hooked on the stock market. We get hooked on pensions. We get hooked on government checks. The more we're given, the more we want. That's human nature, and it's being shown completely in this country. According to the goodness of his land, they have made goodly images. God can't afford to bless people, generally. It's been that way since Adam and Eve. He blessed them greatly, and they turned on him. And that's the way it's been with Israel, over and over and over throughout history. As God would bless them, they'd turn to idols. He would take their wealth away and curse them and put them in slavery, and then they would turn to God. So then he would bless them, and they would turn to idols. It's been that way over and over and over. And we're in the idolatry stage now. And he is going to punish us severely. And then, at the beginning of the millennium, we're going to say, whoever's left, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I'm cold, I'm hot, whatever. I need help. And Christ will be there and say, okay, worship me, serve me. And I will bless you. And you'll have food and drink and everything you need. And we'll go through the whole millennium like that. And people will pretty well serve God through it. But at the end of the millennium, he's going to turn the devil loose. And he's going to come out and deceive the nations for a short while once again. It doesn't take him long. It took us 430 years to reach the bottom of the barrel. And that's where we are, as in the days of Noah. Their heart is divided. I said earlier, Christ said, no man can serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. You have to serve God and not have a divided heart. Now, is it wrong to work and get gain? And provide for yourself? No. He says all through here, that is to be done. He says if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. So if you won't go to work, and you'd rather have a government check, God says you should not eat. We should earn our daily bread. And if we are responsible and do that, then God says he will bless us. So our goal is not the material and physical. That's just what we need to live and we work for it, and that's fine. But when it becomes where wealth and money is what you're after, that's idolatry. You're putting it ahead of God. I've known many people who learned about the Sabbath. But, well, i got to work. And my boss said, if I don't work on Saturday, he'll fire me. Well, okay. Are we going to put the job ahead of God? No. 
God can give you another job if they take that one away. We put him first. Ahead of money, ahead of job. He is more important than that. You know, jobs are going to go away, and he's saying it here. Our blessings are going to go away, and we're going to throw the money in the street, and it'll be nothing. God has offered us to live forever in a universe that has everything we need if we will just serve Him ahead of everything else. You can't beat a deal like that. So you've got to work Saturday. No, you don't. If you don't, if you do, you're an idolater. It's that simple. You're putting your job, your money, ahead of God. It's just that simple. Why do you think he made these rules? So we would look to him. The Sabbath is here so that we have a day to look to God rather than going about our normal business and working. It's to put him forefront in our minds at least once a week as a reminder. So the Sabbath is so very important, and it looks forward to the millennium when the whole world will be blessed, and toward eternity where we'll be blessed forever and ever and we'll no longer sin when we're blessed. What a requirement that is going to be to change the mind that much. Their heart is divided. They shall be found faulty faulty or guilty. He shall break down their altars. He shall spoil their images. So we have altars to wealth. We have altars to sex. We have altars to... Uh, whatever you want to name today. It's all going to be broken down and go away. For now they shall say, we have no king. Because we feared not the eternal, what then should a king do to us? We're going to reach the point soon where we will not have a leader. I don't know whether you can call Sleepy Joe that or not, but not much. He doesn't know the difference between New York and Atlanta anymore. So do we have a leader? No. But we've forgotten God. So if we forget God and He removes our blessings and we start being cursed, what good's a leader going to do anyway? Don't do us any good. They have spoken words, swearing falsely and making a covenant... Thus judgment springs up as hemlock in the furrows of the field. Now you plant in order to reap good things, don't you? And he says what we're planting is going to grow up as hemlock. That's poison. Whatever we plant, whatever we try to do as a nation is going to turn to poison. And Medical science is turning to poison. Now what is, I mentioned money, I mentioned sex. What about doctors? What about medical science? That's one been one of our greatest altars. That's been one of our greatest gods. Any American gets sick in any form or fashion, oh, get him to the doctor, get him to the doctor. Oh, my kid blew his nose, get him to the doctor. It's become that way. So their drugs, their methods, 
their killing of us slowly has become a God to us. What did God say to do when we get sick? Go to the elders of the church and be anointed, and if you have faith, the prayer of faith will heal the sick. That's what God told us to do. So what do we do? We run to the doctor. Oh, medical science will save me. I'm about to die. I've got to go to the doctor. I'd rather die. Okay? I would rather let God determine whether I'm going to live 60, 70, 80, or 90 years than the doctors. And I'd rather wait for Him to heal me and decide Himself whether I need to live longer or not than to go and get on chemo and die in six months or three years without any hair and nauseated. Why do I need that? Because our God has become medical science. And we fall before that throne and that altar so easily. Got to have their pills, got to have their potions, got to have their shots. Doesn't Revelation 18 say that pharmacia would deceive the whole world? It is happening before our very eyes. And pretty soon, with America leading, if we don't have the shot, we can do nothing and go nowhere and will not be able to buy groceries. They're already planning. Department of Homeland Security has said it. We're we're producing a card that you have to run through the machine, and if it doesn't show you're vaccinated, your credit card will not work. You can't buy anything. That is what they are doing this moment. And they're going to institute it very soon. Will you bow down before Big Pharma? which is deceiving the whole world in a satanic way, and have a shot in your arm with baby material in it, aborted, murdered babies shot into your arm. How abominable can it get? How sick, so unfeeling, so uncaring, so satanic, We're planting poison. He uses a farming analogy, but we're planting poisons in our bodies. Willfully. And letting our children have it too, so they can die. The inhabitants of Samaria shall fear because of the calves of beth Aven, For the people thereof shall mourn over it, and the priests thereof that rejoiced on it. For the glory thereof, because it is departed from it. Going to the doctors is going to fail. It's going to fail. People are going to start dying like flies. And going to the hospital, what a joke that's going to be. It shall also be carried to Assyrian for a present to King Jareb, Ephraim's shall receive shame, and Israel shall be ashamed of his own counsel. Things are going to get so bad, we're going to go to the Assyrian for help, 
And Biden has already done it. And then things are going to come apart anyway, and we're going to be ashamed of ourselves for where we've tried to go for relief. As for Samaria, that's Israel, her king is cut off as the foam upon the water. See a tide coming in, you get some foam on top of the waves, and it'll be just wiped off like foam. Draw a glass of beer out of the tap, got head on it, just like wiping the foam off the top. That's how our leader is going to be, cut off as foam upon the water. I just read an article that their plan now, and everybody's getting on the wagon, Democrats, Republicans, everybody, because of this mess in Afghanistan, saying Biden has to go. He didn't do that. This thing was set up on purpose by those people who tell him what to say, if he can manage to get it said. We pulled out of there the way we did in order to cause the people to disrespect the government and to be able to turn China, Afghanistan over to China so they can have the rare earth minerals. That's why we did it. And it was done in order to make Biden look like the fool and the buffoon that he is. So they can remove him with the 25th Amendment or incompetency mentally or whatever. And then Kamala Harris becomes president. She can't draw three votes on a good day. And the plan appears to be, from some insiders, that she will appoint then Hillary Clinton to be vice president. And then there will be a false flag something where Kamala Harris will be killed as collateral damage. And we will have which Hillary as president. It says right here in this chapter, our king will be utterly cut off. It says up here, we just read, like foam on the water. Gone. This is talking about America today and next month and the month after. Verse 8, the high places of Avon, that's the religions, the sin of Israel shall be destroyed. The thorn and the thistle shall come on their altars. See what God thinks of religion in America today? Catholic, Protestant, Mormon, you name it. He hates it all because it's against his law. They shall say to the mountains, cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. You have to be in pretty desperate shape to want the rocks to fall on you. I've been under some pretty big rocks in my life. And I was always a little suspicious of them. I didn't want them to fall on me. They're going to be begging to be killed by a falling rock. That's how bad it's going to get. O Israel, you have sinned from the days of Gibeah. There they stood. The battle in Gibeah against the children of iniquity did not overtake them. They were in the morass of confusion and idolatry. And that's where they stayed. God says, it is in my desire that I should chastise them. You've gotten so bad, 
I realize I need to punish you. And the people shall be gathered against them when they shall bind themselves in their two furrows. He's talking about the leaders here. The people will be against them. There's going to be an, a rebellion, an uprising. People are going to say, I've had enough. They're beginning to right now. Before now, they've been talking about, let's have nonviolent opposition. Now some of the same people are going to be, are starting to say, we've got to do this no matter what we need to do. It's changing. The people are gathering against them. When they bind themselves in their two furrows. Now what does that mean? They have dug themselves tunnels underground to live in. They're furrows. They're going to try to get away from the mobs that want to kill them by going in their underground bunkers. They want to be bound in there, safe where our crop is, where we put our goodies, we prepped. They call you a conspiracy theorist if you buy an extra can of corned beef. But underground, they've got stuff laid up to take care of them throughout this whole thing. And Ephraim is as an heifer that is taught and loves to tread out the corn. We're sheeple that just follow along. We're taught to tread out the corn. We're taught to be good little sheepies, sheeples. But I pass over upon her fair neck. I will make Ephraim to ride. Judah shall plow and, break, and Jacob shall break his clods. We're going into slavery and farm for other people. Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the eternal till he come and rain righteousness on you. Quit sowing for nothing. Come sow to me. Come put me first. And then I'll rain righteousness on you. Even in these dire verses we've been reading, he offers hope. He says, I want, I've got to have to chasten you. If you'll just turn to me, I'll rain righteousness on you and blessings. That's what he's done over and over and over again throughout Israel's history. And we're at the bottom of the cycle, but even now, he says, if you'll just turn to me, you have plowed wickedness. You've reaped iniquity. You have eaten the fruit of lies because you did trust in your way. That one, sent, that one sold over a million records. I did it my way. In the multitude of your mighty men, we're protected. We have our military to take care of us. We can do anything we want. We're the most blessed nation on earth. America will never fall. God bless America. No, he's done blessing America. He's done. Therefore shall a tumult arise among your people. Yes, there's going to be an incredible backlash against what they're doing to us right now. And all your fortresses shall be spoiled. 
there is going to be a civil war like no other civil war has ever been. No people has been ever as armed as Americans are and able to fight back the way Americans can. They're doing everything they can think of to try to get our guns away from us without themselves being shot. And they're having difficulty with it. And God tells you right here, a tumult will arise. A rebellion. And it's being called for right now. It's getting tight enough. The people are beginning to say, enough already. And this tumult is going to come soon. And they're pushing us to do it. Because they want a civil war. And they want us killing each other. They want to go to a bunker and hide between their two furrows while we kill each other. What the shot doesn't get, the civil war and then the invasion will get. And they'll take whatever's left as slaves and a sword after them. If you're not a good slave and you don't produce <coughs> into you. <clears throat> this is America today, right now. This is where we are. And this is where we're headed. As Shalman spoiled Beth, uh, Beth Arbel in the day of battle, the mother was dashed in pieces upon her children. Mother America is going to be dashed in pieces upon her aborted, kill-shot children. She's going to suffer the same fate as what she's been doing to her kids. So shall Bethel do unto you because of your great wickedness. Bethel was known as a place of great idolatry in ancient Israel. In a morning shall the king of Israel utterly be cut off. Remove this foam from a wave up above here, and in a morning utterly cut off. One of our leaders is going to die. I've been saying this for a long time. Isaiah 7 says the same thing. Is it going to be Joe or Kamala or Hillary or who? We shall see. But this is talking about America today. And one of our leaders is going to be cut off just like that. Now, is everything else we've been reading resonating with you with what's going on right now? Delivering our children to the murderer in several ways. Isn't that what's happening? Well, you go down, down and read this, and it's easy to predict one of our leaders is going to be cut off. Going to die. Maybe two. Isaiah may even indicate that. Well, that's a pleasant thought. Let's stop there. <clears throat>